0: You are tuned into the VBAC link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan.
1: Hello, Women of Strength. We have an amazing episode today with you, with our friends, Caitlin and Chrissy. She, um, They are from our favorite lactation the lactation network and an IBCLC with the lactation network. So we are going to get into the topic about well, how the lactation network even came about, but also all the questions and what does it mean to work with lactation network and an IBCLC. We talk so much about preparing for birth and then birth. And we talk a little bit about postpartum. We're starting to get more into postpartum because it's a really important topic. But this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I have had three babies and three pretty different experiences. And I've had I've had some challenges along the way. So we're excited to welcome our guests today talking about breastfeeding and pumping and going back to work and all the things and what it looks like to work with an IBCLC through the lactation network. So welcome, ladies.
2: Thank you. We're so excited to be here.
1: So excited to have you. I think maybe we can just start off right off the bat with what is TLN? We've been talking about it for a little while now, but what is Lactation Network? How did it start and where are you today?
2: Yeah, my name is Caitlin McNeely. I'm the VP of Consultant Relations at TLN. Uh, TLN stands for the Lactation Network. We are the largest network nationally in the U.S. of IBCLCs, Lactation Consultants for short, but IBCLC stands for Internationally Board Certified Lactation Consultants. I am based in Chicago and have been with TLN since its inception um, and have seen it through um, a couple iterations and have watched it grow um, as my fourth baby. I sort of lovingly refer to it as I do have three kiddos of my own, 13 11 and eight had very different nursing experiences with all three of them. All three of them were C-sections and all of those were equally as different. And so, you know, when starting TLN, it, so much of it was very much in my wheelhouse at the time I was pregnant with my my third baby and going through that whole process. And I wish I knew then what I know now about Mm -hmm. all of the amazing support that a lactation consultant can offer The way that TLN was born, I think, is, you know, relevant to cover briefly, but essentially when the Affordable Care Act mandated coverage of breastfeeding support and supplies, I was brought into a company to start a breast pump, what we call a DME, which is a durable medical equipment company. And I won't get in the weeds there, but essentially we provide equipment directly to patients and we handle the insurance component. And so, started with the breast pump DME, getting parents the essential tools that they need. Certainly, in the US with limited maternal leave, we um, Mm -hmm. certainly need breast pumps if we expect them to continue their breastfeeding journey. Um, And so, that was where the business really started. And roughly 12 to 18 months into that endeavor, um, a lot of these parents were calling me back postpartum saying, hey, You were really helpful in getting me a breast pump, but now I'm really struggling with my breastfeeding journey. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? I myself am not clinical, and so it wouldn't have been appropriate for me to try to troubleshoot their nursing issues. I leave that to the experts now. And at the time, what happened was I reached out to an IBCLC locally here in Chicago and started sending her on some visits. Now, because the Affordable Care Act mandates that this care be covered, it was seemingly going to be a smooth transition from breast pumps into breastfeeding support. There is um, just sort of a, a lack of understanding, a lack of a pathway into insurance reimbursement for lactation care. And I met that head on by working directly with insurance providers, working through some new pathways that they could adopt to be able to cover this care for patients. And as soon as there was progress made there with some insurers, we were sort of off to the races. And then what happened was more lactation consultants were hearing about us and I was reaching out to more lactation consultants around the country as our patient base started to grow. So it was very much an organic growth process, very supply and demand, if you will. And now, you know, our first visit was in 2016. So fast forward to 2023, we've helped over 300,000 individuals with their wow. breastfeeding journeys. Yeah, we, wow. um it's a huge, it's a huge nod to the exceptional care of our IBCLC network. It's also really just standing up the reality that parents in this country deserve lactation care, Right. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times we get very stuck in the conversation or drama or um, consideration around breastfeeding when the reality is lactation care is it's human health care. When you birth an infant, you are going to experience lactation on a variety of levels and in a variety of facets. However, this is a physiological, biological reality of the birth process and bodies that birth babies and lactate deserve healthcare surrounding that. Um, and so that is, yeah, that is our steadfast, that is just our steadfast mission is to make this care accessible to all birthing families.
1: I love that so much. And I love, I love it like lactation care just Mm -hmm. in general because we are all going through different experiences and we all have these babies and then we're like what do we do with these things that are making milk (laughs) you know and and then how do we feed these babies and how do we go back to work and all the things right and i love i love this network so much like i can't i mean i can literally scream it into the rooftops you guys like this is amazing and it should be something that everyone gets. And so we work, you work with insurance, but are there still insurances that maybe aren't quite there yet? Or like, how does yeah, that yeah. factor in?
2: That's an excellent question. We are, we are dogged in our pursuit of expanding lactation care within insurers um, that we do work with currently and expanding it into different payers that are not currently Working directly with the lactation network. And we have no intention of stopping that mission or slowing down that mission, right? Our goal is to Mm -hmm. hold insurance, insurance companies accountable for this very essential care. You know, the economic argument, the healthcare outcome argument, these things are black and white. There really is no gray area as it pertains to the benefit of taking care of lactating parents. In addition to insurances, understanding the importance of this care Mm -hmm. and the true economic value of this care, employers are starting to perk up as well, meaning they want to make sure that when one of their parents goes out on maternity leave, that they are set up for success in this arena because the statistics of predominantly women of childbearing age dropping out of the workforce to take care of their Uh, infant and their health and their mental health and their homes and all of those things um you know it can't be overstated how beneficial it is for employers to take care of their employees in this capacity they will have easier times recruiting they will have easier times retaining top tier talent this this generation of of women having babies, families bringing babies into this world, they are very contemplative when they choose what business they want to enter into agreements with. And so much of that right now is based on the benefits space. Mm -hmm. They want to know that their employer is going to support their endeavors at home to keep them productive and happy at work.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When I was working, so I used to, I had my daughter and then I went back to work and I just remember that such stress of like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to like pump and keep my milk supply, but also like feed my baby and do all these things. And I, like at the time, my work was like, I guess you could go in the back storage room. Like that was like about all they gave me. Right. And then I was like, okay, well, like, okay, but the milk has to be like refrigerated, like, you know, like, like, and they're like, no, you can't, no, like bring mm. a cooler. And it's so, like every day I was trucking in this like big pump and you know, this cooler and all these things. And it would have just been so nice to have more of that support. And I probably would have stayed longer term, maybe, you know, I don't yeah, know, but it would have been nice to not feel I mean, I still felt support, more support than I know some, but I still was just like, this is weird. This is not like, yeah, they're not it's like not ideal. about this. But yeah, it wasn't <laughs> it's ideal. It's not ideal. Yeah. yeah yes. And
2: um, it, I think to paint the picture of what is available through the lactation network yes. for those types of parents, right? So it doesn't matter. Stay home, go back to work. Like we, it's not a one size fits all, but the lactation care cadence that should be commonplace, it should be preventative, which is where it falls in the Affordable Care Act, right? This is preventative care, because as I mentioned before, your body is going to do this. So much like we go to, you know, scope out a pediatrician prior to the baby being born, and then we go for our seven-day checkup and all of these things, we are really passionate about trying to shift the paradigm to match that type of preventative care as it pertains to lactation. And what that can look like is a prenatal visit, um, Mm -hmm. a three-day postpartum visit, so day after you get home from the hospital, and then we can have adjustments because baby adjusts so much as your milk comes in and those first two weeks are so substantially different. You can have a troubleshooting visit. You can have a planning to go back to work and creating a pumping schedule visit, storing milk. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we'll run into a case of mastitis or clogged Mm -hmm. ducts.
1: Yes. Um,
2: Oftentimes when a parent goes back to work, their milk supply can drop a little bit. It can be just trying to engage in a new schedule with your breast pump, engage in a new schedule with waking up early, stress, hydration, eating at work, those things can all play into your milk supply, working directly with a professional to a set your mind at ease, but also to adjust that plan accordingly. And then those visits can go all the way through weaning. This is really a journey. It's a personal journey. And Mm -hmm. this is where I would love to kick it to Chrissy because Chrissy, we're so fortunate to have her at TLN. She is just a top-notch human being and um, IBCLC mm-hmm. on top of it. And I think she can shed some light as to why TLN is so passionate about the IBCLC certification and why we only work with IBCLCs.
1: Yeah. And more even on what IBCLCs truly do is so we're talking about like what those look like, but what more do you do, Chrissy, for parents? What does it, what does it look like?
3: Yeah. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, so I'd love to start with just what an IBCLC is, because I think that there is a lot of confusion in the space of of lactation caretakers, to use that word, right? Lactation providers. So IBCLCs are unique in that we're the highest credentialed healthcare providers specializing in lactation. So truly the gold standard. And one of the things that exists, and I always say, like I love all of I love all of the supporters. I love all of the educators. There's a place for everybody. But I think it is important for families to know what differentiates differentiates an IBCLC. So IBCLCs, typically, it takes about three to five years to become an IBCLC. So that includes a program that takes 90 hours of education, human lactation, coursework in 14 health science subjects, 300 to 1,000 hours of supervised clinical experience, and then passing boards and recertifying every five years. So it is, it is definitely an in-depth program and in-depth Very. process. Yes, absolutely. So at TLN, we only work with IBCLCs. Um, so I, th- I think that's important um, to mention. And we connect these families with that gold standard in lactation care. So as IBCLCs, we are working with the pediatrician, with the OB, We are focusing on the parent-baby dyad and what breastfeeding looks like. You know, consultations definitely differ from LC to LC. We all do it a little bit differently, but in a typical consultation, we're gonna meet, we're gonna go over your medical history. We're gonna do an in-depth, like deep dive into how feeding has been going. We will probably observe a feed if that's applicable. We're going to we're going to talk about your feeding challenges, your feeding goals, where do you want to go, what's getting in the way of that. I always make lots of space for parents to ask whatever questions are on their mind and then, you know, make sure I share evidence-based information. And then at the end, we're going to create a plan for follow-up um, and a plan for how to get from A to B and solve whatever issue it is that we're looking at. So that's typically what a what a consult looks like. I said we're all a little bit different I stay in touch with my patients you know from in between consults so if they have you know you you know having been there like questions pop Mm -hmm. up all the time just little questions all the time how long can I leave breast milk out for how like like just little things especially if you're a first-time parent but I always Mm -hmm. say like even for parents who have done this before every baby's different every breastfeeding experience is different so as Caitlin said like really kind of thinking of LCs as they're from beginning to end, from prenatal to weaning is so important. And we know that it makes an incredible impact on the breastfeeding journey for parents and for babies.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I, I wish that because I had a baby and then I was like meeting with it an IBCLC days later, but I was already days behind in engorgement and a really upset, hungry baby. And I it wasn't that I couldn't feed my baby. It was just that my boobs were really rock hard. And I remember when I met with the IBCLC, she was like, "It would be really hard for you to eat, you know, latch onto a rock like that, like with, you know, and she with my mouth like this. And she's like, "We gotta soften these up." And I was like, "I don't even know. Like I was just like a mess. And I'm like if I would have had that care before we would have had my baby, we would have been able to do exactly what you said, go over my plans, go over my goals, come up with, things to look for and what to know and then have had your help way before I was days past my breaking point of my husband being like I'm going to the store like and I'm like oh I just want to feed my baby and he, you know we were just like a mess <laughs> it was just exactly. a mess. right and, and
3: I, I think that happens all the time Megan I think that that families are starting to take prenatal breastfeeding classes which is amazing and I mm-hmm. always recommend my families do that Mm-hmm. But I think the piece that that really needs to come to light is the value of the prenatal consultation, exactly what you're talking about. Meet with your IBCLC for a private one-on-one consultation before baby is here. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend doing it if it's not your first baby, if it's your second uh-huh. baby, yeah. baby. right? Like talk about what happened last time. Talk about a plan for ideally how to avoid those speed bumps the next time. Yes. Um, and also, if this is a new IBCLC to you, you're going to get a chance to connect with them before the baby's here, find out how they work, figure out if you work well together. Is this the yeah. person who want to support you in your breastfeeding journey? But to your point, we're also going to talk about how to navigate those first few days, how to reach out for help, when to reach out for help, mm-hmm. common, you know, little speed bumps that might happen, including engorgement, which you just mentioned, like how to navigate. Yeah. that. So really lays the foundation for like getting off to a good start.
1: Absolutely. I just think it's so beneficial. And what, what's so great about lactation Network is, it's really so easy to get a consult and get going like it. You've made it so easy. It's it's a matter of clicking, filling out a form and starting your consultation,
3: right? Yeah. So we have IBCLCs across the nation and every mm-hmm. state. Um, if you don't have an IBCLC, we will connect you with one. We will check your insurance to make sure we can get you covered. And then, right, then it's just a a matter of scheduling. And the other thing that I think is really important to mention is IBCLCs practice in different ways. So we have IBCLCs who do home visits, who have offices that you can come to, who do virtual consults. Many of my families like a combination of those. They might Mm -hmm. start off with an in-person, but then maybe move to some virtuals for follow-up. So there are lots of different ways to do this. And I also think that sometimes people if they don't know what to expect in a lactation consult, they might feel like, I'm just going to give you an example, like they have to do a feed or maybe like they have to do a feed virtually. That's not always true. And, you know, I think maybe they picture um, a very invasive like physical exam, you know, that is not true. So, and then I also think another thing that comes up is home visits. Sometimes people worry about, oh my gosh, like postpartum, my house is a mess. I don't want anybody (laughs) coming. Like, oh my gosh, like don't worry for a second about that. Like we That is the farthest thing from our mind as LCs. Oh, yeah. Now, like, come to you in a space that is most comfortable for you, take care of you, make sure that you have all the information and support that you need.
1: And truly make our lives easier, like, and taking out the question. And so, you know, even even before birth, like, and there's different types of birth. I I mean, like Caitlin just said, like, she had three C-sections. I've had C-sections. We've had vaginal. There's VBAC. There's unexpected C-sections, planned C-section. There's a whole bunch of things that happen in birth. And we know that medication, fluids, all the things that happen, right? Trauma responses, all these things can impact maybe when our milk comes in or how our milk comes in. And and then also our mental state. Like if, you know, I remember when with my first, I came out of my C-section and I just remember being in my hospital room, like dozing off, coming up, and then like, there was a new person holding my baby and then I doze off and then wake up and a new person was holding my baby. And all I could think of was like, what's going on? Like, that's all I could think. Not like, I need to feed my baby. Everyone needs to leave. How do I feed my baby? I'm not awake enough to feed my baby. Mm-hmm. You know, like, should I, should I have started pumping? You know, there's all the things. And so do you guys have any tips on, um, you know, even before scheduling a consult that would maybe say like hey, maybe look out for these or do these things or different births can impact the way milk comes in and things like that.
3: Yeah, yeah, I I think it is important to acknowledge that. And especially in the first few days, um, how the birth that you have absolutely does impact um, your early breastfeeding experience. In fact, um, I recently found a study um, that points out that um, women who deliver by VBAC are 47% more likely to initiate Breastfeeding than women who deliver by a scheduled cesarean. Whoa! I know, right? I, feel, I felt like that was a little shocking when I saw that. So we know that women who deliver via cesarean birth are more likely to experience early difficulties with breastfeeding. They're mo- they're less likely to have their baby to breast within 24 hours. So all of that to say, it's an added layer of a significant complication in terms of initiating breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to tell my families, and in in a prenatal consultation, that's definitely something that we cover what your birth plans are, what your birth history is, if you've had a baby before, and how that will impact breastfeeding and what your struggles Mm. were the first time. If you, mm -hmm. I'm gonna give you another example. Um, If you have a long labor and you have a lot of IV fluids, that can postpone your milk transitioning. It can make it harder for your baby to latch. Your baby's more likely to lose a lot of weight quickly, which is means your baby's more likely to be supplemented in those early days, especially in the hospital. So all of these have a real impact. So those are the, the, the things where, you know, we're going to cover. With a the cesarean, there are positioning considerations, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to probably move that baby off the torso and find positions that are more comfortable Typically, these challenges are surmountable, you know, in the first few weeks. So I never want to paint the picture that that these are things that, that we can't have a plan for, that we can't. But I think yeah. having a plan is key. Having the support is key. Um, having those conversations, having somebody that you can reach out to when you're experiencing any yeah. difficulty, any breastfeeding difficulty. Yeah, I I would
2: love to piggyback on that. I think it's so, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't have, I'm not one of those people who has a birth plan, right? Uh Um, Because the joke (laughs) is always like, as soon as you make your plan, like, you know, it it changes. (laughs) Exactly. But I do think to Chrissy's point, you know, in hindsight, I really wish that I, my first C-section was emergent. I was, I was put under for it. All Mm. was well, everything worked out. You know, but even for my second and third, I wish that I had spoken up about different things, right? Like if I have to go under again, this is what I want to have happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Remembering
2: that when you're in the, you know, when you're in your labor and delivery suite, letting everyone know, hey, if this does have to go to a C section, I want it communicated to the OR that I want. The baby put on my chest immediately after delivery. I want it mm-hmm. communicated that my intention in pack you is to immediately initiate breastfeeding and get skin to skin because those are things that, you know, we can have all the best intentions in the world, but it is worthwhile just thinking through some different scenarios. I mm-hmm. think that it's, it's. Helpful to quell any of that anxiety, right? Because to Chrissy's point, like these, these things are out of our control. And that is totally the job of the medical professionals to take the best care of us and our babies. But it's definitely possible to just have some of those high level thoughts and conversations, right? You know, for my, mm-hmm. for my daughter, she was my second C section. I was conscious, <laughs> you know, but even then it was sort of not really outwardly known that you could request immediate skin to skin and then in You, the nurse wasn't really working with me on breastfeeding very much. And, you know, I lost some of that time and skin to skin that, um, you know, you only really realize later because you're so in this mm-hmm. mentality. It's just such a whirlwind in the best possible way. It's the greatest moments ever. But really kind of putting pen to paper and think through some of those different scenarios. And that's why that prenatal visit with an IBCLC is so amazing because, you know, when you're meeting with your OB, they're really, they're really just, you know, making sure that everything's going smoothly. That's not to say that they're not spectacular. Um, Mm -hmm. doulas are certainly helpful in getting, you know, some of these plans together, but as it pertains to breastfeeding and the potential different delivery methodologies, an IBCLC is really the best person to set you up for that type of success. So don't overlook it, you know, we, we can't get all the answers from Google. Breastfeeding is a very biological experience, right? Like we, you know, we tend to want a lot of quick answers, quick fixes, and, you Mm -hmm. know, just knowing that you have time, relax into it and reach out for, for help is definitely the way to be prepared, right? You've made your Pinterest perfect nursery, Let's focus on what the actual um, delivery and feeding is going to look like, because right after that baby Mm -hmm. arrives, that is where all attention goes.
1: Yeah, we had um, when we when we actually started talking about TLN, we had someone write in and she was like, can I like do a review on lactation on IBCLC and how important it is because it impacted her. She had three C-sections. She had history of getting mastitis. Every, with every single baby and so she ended up working with an IBCLC before she had her third c section that was planned and they worked on all these things and she was able to avoid all of the things you know that she had last time and she was like she was literally at my hospital bed the day i had my baby like they had scheduled it to like because it was a scheduled c-section right so she's like i will come you tell me when and she's like, it was so impactful. She's like, it made my experience with my newborn so much more powerful because she was able to take out the stress and the question and all those things and have more of that, like, you know, Pinterest perfect birth experience, right? Like, it was mm-hmm. so powerful for her. And I just, I think it's so important to to talk about those things. And, um, you know, she said, like, if you can, like, get skin to skin in the OR, do these things. And then I'll meet you later. And she did all those things. And it was, she just said it was just totally. I think,
2: I think that that's, I'm happy that you brought that up, Megan. I think a great question for your delivering hospital is, do you have an IBCLC on staff? And Um, will I be able to see them? Because having one on staff doesn't mean you'll be able to see them necessarily, right? If it's an extremely busy university setting hospital, they may have, you know, four or five lactation consultants, but they are really, really relegated to NICU. And so just Mm -hmm. asking those pertinent questions, because, you know, once you've had your prenatal visit with a TLN, IBCLC, you have their contact information. You can even, if you're having a C-section, schedule your first postpartum visit for the day you get home or the day after you get home, depending on how long you're going to stay in house. You know, there there are really ways to be so prepared in that capacity for in hospital care. It's really important that, you know, going in, if you're going to have that bedside care from a hospital based IBCLC, Mm -hmm. um, that would definitely be a valuable question to ask when you are preparing to deliver.
3: I will also absolutely, put you back, Caitlin. Such a great point because um, having worked in a couple of big hospitals here in Los Angeles, um, and I don't know if this is true for every hospital, but even if there is a hospital IBCLC, we're often stretched pretty thin. So one of the things that I tell my families when I connect with them prenatally is request to be seen by an IBCLC when you move to the postpartum floor. So I know in my experience, families who requested to be seen were at the top of the list. The next group were the patients that either the nurses or the doctors wanted you to to see, to round on. And then the third group who might not get seen are the the families that seem to be doing okay who haven't asked for a visit. So again, that was my experience, but I think it helps to ask. So that's a great thing Mm -hmm. to to have your support person do, to advocate for you, ask your, your nurse or the charge nurse to have the ibclc come by every day when you're in the hospital
1: yeah and i mean and i one of my experiences um and this is why i think having that lactation like official lactation consultant you know the ibclc beforehand is i did request and they said it's the weekend they're not here and yes. so you know to, to caitlin's point and your point like asking ahead of time like hey do you guys have ibclcs and then not only do they have them do they work seven days a week Because I was on the weekend and then I had these C-sections and then days later, I finally found an IBCLC and I was so far behind when I maybe could have connected and maybe it could have even been like a virtual like, hey, how does this latch look or it's hurting or, you know, all of these things and we could have had, we could have nipped a lot of problems in the butt,
3: exactly. honestly. <laughs> exactly.
1: And then to compound
3: that issue, I often hear from families that while they are in the hospital, they will hear a lot of conflicting information about breastfeeding oh, from yes. different care providers. And it's so frustrating for them. You know, most families are coming from the place where I'll do whatever I should be doing, but but please yes. provide a consistent plan. And that is where either the IPCLC who's on staff or The IBCLC you've connected with prenatally can jump in and help you, and be Mm -hmm. the person who clarifies that plan for you and gives you a way forward.
1: Absolutely. Well, we have some questions that our community, people from our Rebacklink community on Facebook, asked. If you don't mind, I would love to ask some of them. This one was from a mom says that she's due in April. She says she's a stay-at-home mom and has a toddler. As well, her goal is to exclusively nurse because she thinks pumping will be too much. How do I navigate nursing a newborn and caring for a toddler schedules, general trips, etc.? She nursed and pumped last time.
3: Such a great question. Okay, so first, again, huge plug for prenatal consult right there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's
1: have a plan. Let's
3: have a plan. And then I'll just share a couple of tips that um, I give my families in these situations. The first one is baby wearing uh, baby wearing makes such a huge change, really helps keep that newborn close, skin to skin, so many benefits of, of keeping that baby skin to skin. We know breastfeeding goes better when babies are skin to skin and and baby wearing is just skin to skin while your hands are free. And now you can also like take care of your toddler. I'm also going to say huge plug for support. We know what where those difficult moments tend to be. The first six weeks, growth spurts, let's plan for them. If you are alone with your baby and your toddler let's have a plan for support who is offering to come help who can help you take care of the toddler can somebody come relieve you so you can get some shifts is it in the budget to hire a postpartum doula to come and support you support 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 right especially in those early weeks and then you know as we progress a little farther into the breastfeeding journey I always like to share with my families just some tips for navigating feeding times with a baby while also having a toddler, because you probably know this, that you know it, it tends to, to happen that you put the baby to the breast or to the chest, and then your toddler wants your attention, right? No. So it's not a coincidence, <laughs> right? So the second you're kind of like, oh, I'm doing this thing, I'm really not available. So how do we navigate that? Again, having a plan in advance. Maybe we reserve some special, you know, toys or activities for nursing time, like make it positive. Maybe that's also snack time for your toddler. Maybe as breastfeeding gets a little bit easier, you're able to have your toddler come sit with you and read a book. But basically have a plan to make breastfeeding a positive experience for your toddler as well. So it's not set up as this competition for them, mm-hmm. really, you know, trying to get your attention Gosh. during that time, which is really difficult for parents to navigate
1: yeah i love those tips this other question from this mama says i will be tandem nurse tandem nursing with my when my next baby comes my first daughter has a slight lip tie and has always had a little bit more shallow of a latch just wondering if there's any ways to get a solid latch if the next one comes without sorry comes out with us if the next one comes out with a slight lip tie didn't seem to affect my first daughter getting milk out while nursing, but I do think it caused my supply to never really come in fully.
3: Yeah, yeah. So love that that she's asking this question in advance for sure. There's a lot we're still finding out about restrictions or ties. One thing I would look into in this situation is if the second child does have a lip tie, is there also a tongue tie happening? Mm-hmm. So often we know when there's a lip tie, there's a tongue tie. Not always. But often so that's where working with an IBCLC, they're going to help you navigate what's happening with breastfeeding. And do you need a referral to what we call a preferred provider, typically an ENT or a dentist who specializes in ties? Let's have that baby evaluated by the specialist. Let's find out early on, are there any lingual or labial restrictions that are preventing the baby from removing milk both efficiently and comfortably for the parent? So information is key there, right? Especially if we know that there is a history. Mm -hmm. Um, And IBCLCs in your community will be able to give you those names and that contact information for those preferred providers so that we can find out that information right away. I also love that she brings up an important point about supply. Sometimes very strong supplies can mask tongue ties and lip ties even, and, Mm -hmm. and really kind of make those issues not so obvious in the beginning, but then they might show up later on. Like she said, like maybe it affected her supply. I often see people who do okay, even though their baby has some restrictions, but then the three month regulation hits and suddenly their nipples are sore. Suddenly their supply is really feeling an impact. And it's because there was an underlying restriction this whole time. Right. So early information, let's find out.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask you if IBCLCs can technically diagnose a lip or tongue tie or, or if they can say, Hey, it looks like maybe there's something going on. I, my daughter, um, I also had some restrictions. I, I mean, I had some issues just in the beginning with my milk coming in and I talked about like how I was kind of out of it, had it a little rocky first start. But then, um, when my daughter was five, she went to the dentist and the dentist said, um, how did she eat like, how did you know how did she eat as a newborn and I was like oh she you know we had our troubles but we got through it and he's like good for you he's like she has a severe lip tie and he's like we actually need to like take care of it because it's going to start impacting her as her teeth are coming in like it was so thick and I was like oh and like so so I yeah so those two questions like can an IBCLC diagnose or can they just say Hey, it looks like we may have some restrictions here. I would suggest you go to this provider.
3: The latter. We are not allowed okay. to diagnose. It's not in our scope to diagnose, but we do connect you with the appropriate medical provider who, who yes. does a full evaluation and make a recommendation. Yeah.
1: And I, obviously, we love pediatricians. We love all of our (laughs) docs, but my pediatrician, I asked and she was like, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like sometimes pediatricians aren't as skilled as IBCLCs in recognizing. So maybe they can't diagnose, but they can recognize and get you to that next step provider to help your feeding journey and your supply and all these things, you know, be better in the end.
3: Exactly, exactly. Again, I second that. I also love pediatricians so much, but IBCLCs Mm -hmm. are really the experts in navigating the lactation aspect and referring you to, again, what we call preferred provider for evaluating lip ties and tongue ties.
1: Yeah, I love that. So again, a whole other reason why we need an IBCLC through the Lactation Network. (laughs) Okay, so this question, I think, again, kind of plugs into getting that prenatal or that consultation before, but this mama says, I would like for my husband to take some of the nighttime feedings to allow me longer stretches to sleep, which we know sleep is so important. It says mm-hmm. he wants to help with his, with he wants to help with this too. Is there any way to do this without negatively impacting breastfeeding or getting up in any way to pump, you know, having her to actually lose sleep? And give it to the baby in a bottle or give it to the husband in a bottle it says there's conflicting information online and i've heard from most mothers that that they just end up doing the nighttime feedings anyway maybe their spouse could help with diapers and (laughs) it says maybe their spouse could help with diapers instead so this is a tricky one because sleep is really important we know for our mental health especially after birth and recovery especially if we've had a long birth or a cesarean and things like that right like we just need that sleep but how can we help our partners be involved without negatively impacting?
3: Yeah, I love that question. And I will also say that it taps into something I hear all the time, which is about conflicting information online. Mm -hmm. Um, There is so much conflicting information about breastfeeding online. To be honest, there is so much bad information about breastfeeding online, which again, plug for an IBCLC. That's why you need that expert in your back pocket to be the person who says, okay, here's the deal. Here's Here's what we need to do. In this specific example, and, and I do have this conversation all the time, because I think one thing that's important to note is that I find the first six weeks are the hardest for so many reasons, right? But if you're a first-time parent, I know it's common, and I, I felt this my, myself, when it's your first baby and you're doing this for the first time, it can feel like, oh, this is what this is like. I'm never going to sleep again. Like, the, like Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. this is what breastfeeding is like. I think it's important to know the different stages and what breastfeeding looks like, what sleep looks like at the different stages. So just having those expectations and that information can go a long way, right? So first six weeks, babies tend to be nocturnal. They tend to be more alert at night, right? Nights are tough for six weeks. Throw in growth spurts where we have all this Mm cluster feeding. Nights tend to be a little harder during, during those times. So we know that. We know that that sleep is going to be tough the first six weeks, but important to know that it does get better. It usually gets better after what we call the six-week growth spurt. So that is one factor. But to answer the, the specific question, I like to talk to my families about what I call tag-teaming at night, which I think is what she, she's asking about. So once we introduce a bottle, then you do have a little bit of play in terms of how the partner can support those nighttime feeds and again such an important uh, topic to talk about before the baby gets here right how are we going to navigate nighttime feeds so important sleep is super important so one possible scenario and this really depends on the specifics that are happening with the family but once we're introducing a bottle it might be possible for the parent to pump before they go to bed Maybe the partner grabs the next feed with a bottle. And then the the parent who pumped right before bed is able to, you know, kind of skip that feed and then grab the next feed. So we kind of like pre-pump essentially. So this plan mm-hmm. works for some people. We do have to introduce a bottle. And where a lot of people go as well, the standard information is I shouldn't introduce a bottle until four to six weeks. So that mm-hmm. plan's not going to help me. Um And, you know, my take on that is we don't always have to wait four to six weeks. So let's talk about the specifics of what's happening with with your baby, your family. But also, it is important to note that in general, we do need a one-to-one ratio, one pump session for every bottle in order to protect your supply and your breast health. Because if we go too long, especially in those first six weeks, If we go too long without removing milk from the breast, we can get plugged ducts, we can get mastitis, we can get other issues, right? Now, unfortunately, prolactin, which is the hormone that's driving a lot of this, peaks middle of the night. So often, (laughs) we have our strongest supply right in the middle of the night. So how are we navigating all of that, right? And that's what comes down to the specifics of the IBCLC, putting together a plan for you and your family. I will say generally, We're usually able to carve out a longer stretch of sleep for the birthing parent after that six week growth spurt. But Mm -hmm. absolutely, you know, sometimes we can, if we just take that scenario, maybe, you know, the parent or the other parent or a support person is giving a bottle and it means you wake up, do a 15 minute pump session and go back to sleep. But that might be a lot faster than the process of feeding the baby from beginning to end. So, you know, these are all things that we look at and, Create a plan for.
1: Yes, yeah, plans just, like are important.
2: They <laughs> are. They are. <laughs> yeah, and just you know, from, from I'm not clinical, so like mom to mom, we're we're saying a lot of things that can be interpreted as overwhelming, right? I mm-hmm. want parents so much to settle into this amazingly delicious life moment, and. We are very much a fast moving, fast paced world. And this time is so precious. It's mm-hmm. so amazing. You will just want to inhale your new baby. And it's so, I, I just think giving yourself permission to take those four to six weeks to really just rest, recuperate, establish that connection your brain is going to really want to go to Target. Like, try to just find some time to go to Target. Maybe that's with a support person, right? So that you, if you get there and 15 minutes later, you need to ditch your cart and go nurse in the car, someone else can stand with your cart or they can say, This is totally fine. I'll put back all the items and we'll meet back in the car. Like, if you, if you're feeling that real urge to get out and do things, you know, make sure you take a walk. I saw a really funny meme yesterday where, it said you know nap when the baby naps and it's this new parent with a stroller outside and she lays down on the sidewalk (laughs) um you know and like obviously that's great advice but in practice it's difficult and so you know just just know that you will rest you will sleep it is the best most special time you know and and we are here to help you prepare for it the best we can it's not, mm-hmm. it's not a Google time. It's not something that you can really search Google for all these answers, right? It's important to go into it knowing that you can trust yourself, trust your body, advocate for help. You know, this used to be done with a huge village. We've lost that village a bit. Bring an IBCLC in early and often to be that outside person who comes in and is solely focused on this feeding relationship to nourish yourself, your baby, your family, to give you, your spouse, your, the grandparents, the siblings, all will be impacted by this peace of mind and this support. It's very, mm-hmm. very crucial and lovely. And I wish all of you tons of snuggles.
1: I literally just got the chills, like such a powerful message right there. So, so powerful. And women of strength, if you are wanting to schedule your consult right now, all you got to do is click in the show notes or you can go to our Instagram and look on our in our bio. It's really easy to schedule a consult and start your plan today. And then one last question, if we have ABCLCs who are maybe listening, because we do, right? We have such a large birth community that listens um, and they maybe want to join the Lactation Network, how could they do that? Or is that possible? Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would
2: encourage, I would encourage anyone listening to check out our website. It's TLN.care. Um, that's T is in the L is in lactation, N is in network.care. And come visit us, come ask questions. We are just so, so passionate about this space and are so grateful that we've had this time.
1: Well, we love you guys so much. We're so grateful for your time. And we just know that you are literally changing lives all over. So thank you so much.
0: Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklinkcom slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to the Vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.